Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. So our previous series, Forward, that we just wrapped up last week, uh, was all about ways that we can grow as individuals, ways that we can move forward. But there's, there's a caveat to that, and that is that if we're going to be the best that we can be as a whole, we have to be the best we can be as individuals. Does that, you follow me? Okay. In order for the collective of us to be as good as we can be, then we've got to be the best individuals that we can be. But, only be your best individual in a vacuum, separated from other people, then there's a problem. There's an issue. If I can only be my best me when nobody else is around, then I've got an issue. So uh, some people might say, well, I could get along really well if it weren't for the people, right? And <laughs> so, yes, you need to be the very best that you can be as an individual, but you also need to be the very best you can be in relationship with other people as well. So this series of messages is about moving forward together in relationship with one another. And we're going to be talking about uh, becoming healthier in the context of our families, our marriages, and our church, and the fellowship that we share with one another. So the intent of this talk today, we're going to be talking about uh, being, uh, building stronger bonds and a greater relationship with our family. Now I want you to listen to me because you need to understand this. Satan is on the war path. And you say, oh, I know, Pastor, it's, it's, it's all in the news, and it's this thing and that thing and another thing. No, 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 no. Satan is on the warpath primarily against your family. He doesn't like your family. He wants to destroy your family. So I want to talk to you today about our families, and as we speak in, this, in today's message specifically about the family and God's design for the family, it's my prayer, number one, because I know that there's a lot of grief and there's a lot of heartache that goes on that's associated to families. So it's my prayer that as we're talking about the family and God's design for the family, number one, that you feel no condemnation. You, you may hear this today and think, you know, that's not how it is in my family. And I'm just here to share with you a vision and a grander dream of how God has planned and how God designed and share with you that it can be. It can be God's way for your family. You may be here today and you may be heartbroken over the state of your family. Maybe you look at the happy pictures, uh, happy family pictures that everyone else is posting online and you hurt inside because that's not your experience. Maybe you have some friends who are always talking about how great their family is and you don't know what that's like and that has brought you a lot of pain. Well, that's okay. Yesterday is just that. It's yesterday. 
Tomorrow is ahead of us. Today is a brand new day. We can start moving in a different direction. You maybe have come from a long line of dysfunctional family. I'm here to tell you today is the day that you can drive a stake in the sand and say from this point forward, we're going to do it God's way. God is going to bless my house. God is going to bless my family. We are going to live the way that God has said that we live and we'll experience the benefit and the blessing of a family. Now, my second po- intent with this message today is to simply cast a vision for you of God's design for the family. Now understand with that that society is trying very hard to define for us what a family is and what a family looks like and how a family should function. And The irony of that is that it is absolutely unnecessary for society to define these things for us. It's completely unnecessary for government to legislate these things for us. And the reason for this is twofold. Number one, family is not an issue of legality. It's an issue of morality. I want to say that again. Family is not an issue of legality. It's an issue of morality. I've had a lot of people come to me over, over my time in tenure ministry, and they say to me, well, you know, Pastor, we want to get married. You know, we've been living in this kind of relationship here for this long, and we want to make it legal. And I said, well, I'm not your guy. I'm not here to make anything legal. Uh, We can make it right in the sight of the Lord, and it begins with repentance, and we can move from there. But I'm not here to make anything legal. This is the issue of family is not about legality. It's an issue of morality. Family, the second reason that it's completely useless for society and, and government to try to legislate these things to us is that family is not without definition. Family is not without definition. It's simply that mankind has rejected the definition as it has been given to us by Almighty God. In many cases, we've chosen the things of the world and we've prioritized them above the things of God. And I've got to tell you, church, today, a lot of what we see going on in our nation and a lot of what we see going on in our society is due to the fact that we have rejected God's design, we have adopted other designs, and we have sown to that and we're now reaping the effect. So I want you to turn with me in your Bible this morning to Psalm 127. Psalm 127, which is, of course, those of you who have children here, you know that your kids attend Kids Church at Studio 127, and this is the the verse for whose namesake that ministry bears. It's the 127th Psalm. Consequently, in a few moments, we're going to prepare communion and and get ready and serve that, and we're going to invite your families in with us. So in just a little while, the kids are going to be coming in. We're going to allow you some time to find them. They're going to be able to come in and and share communion with you this morning. I know it's awesome. Y'all settle down. Okay. I want to share with you one simple verse, and from that simple verse, I want to give you five words to associate with your family. And if you've got your spot in Psalm 127, would you just say amen? We're going to start reading here. Verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, 
They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. As I said from this text today, I want to share with those interested in building a strong family bond five terms that we need to see a healthy family thrive. Number one is the word essential. The word essential. If your family is going to make it, if your family is going to survive, endure, continue, and thrive, there is an essential element that must be present in your home. And the text says, unless, unless the Lord, King James Version says, except the Lord. There's an exception there. Unless the Lord builds the house. Now that phrase there is to suggest and purport that without the Lord, it is useless, it's futile, it's pointless to the extent that it's a waste of time and worth nothing at all unless the Lord builds the house. Is there anybody in here who has discovered in your own life that there are some things for which you can find a substitute? You can find a substitute for some things. It's, it's true, every now and then you can find something to replace something else in your lives. You can find artificial sweeteners to replace sugar. You can find, you know, we go to the doctors and they will introduce synthetic materials into our bodies to replace joints and valves and various parts of our bodies. But there are some things in life for which only the original article will do. In order to thrive, in order to grow, in, in order to flourish, there are some things that only the original article will do. You know, over the years, they have developed some, some made some miraculous medical discoveries and advances, and, and they have what they call oxygen carriers, and those are synthetic materials that they can infuse into your body, into your bloodstream to help with carrying oxygen and moving oxygen around. But do you know there is no replacement for human blood? It is essential for the function of your body. You can't, they can give you a substitute, but they better not get too far away from you because you're going to be in bad shape in short order. You have to have that lifeblood coursing through your veins, transferring the oxygen and the carbon monoxide and, and, and filtering out the things in your body. You have to have it. There's no way. That's why every time you go to Walmart or pass a church lot or anywhere else, there's a Red Cross vehicle there and they're collecting blood because there are people who need it and only the original article is going to satisfy the need. It's the only thing that's going to do. So, likewise, you may try to build your family on something else other than centered around the Lord and allowing the Lord to build your family. And you may get by for a while, and you may stumble along, and you may sputter through, but sooner or later it's going to be evidence that there's something lacking if your family is not built on the foundation, if your house is not built on the solid rock of Christ Jesus. 
Now, you may run your family, your relationships, your homes, your, your relationships with sons and daughters or husbands and wife off of some cheap, weak, flimsy, shallow, superficial substitute that will satisfy and appease you temporarily, but it won't be successful for long. And, you, and to, to say that you would rather have anybody other than the Lord at, as the foundation, the focus, the spotlight, the sum, and the substance, the center, is to suggest that a substitute is better than that which is real. That a knockoff is actually better than the genuine article. How many of y'all would like to join me for a synthetic steak after service today? Of course you wouldn't. You want the real thing, right? Right? Nobody wants any make-believe meat. Or we'd all go home and have some potted meat, right? I'm sorry. That... If you could just have a little tour through my mind once in a while, it might be frightening to some of you, okay? So, <laughs> listen to me. Houses and land are a good substitute. But they're not going to uphold you when times get tough. Cash, cars, creature comforts, that's a good substitute. But it won't be enough when the going gets tough. A substitute is that which temporarily acts as another replacement, but upon examination you find that it cannot stand the test of time. It's only a temporary substitute that will not last because if that were the reality, then the rich would never have their children in jail and they would never be in divorce court and they would never be dealing with their children who are struggling with substance abuse. If you ever want to experience the abundant life, unspeakable joy, and the peace that passes all understanding, uh, you've got to grab hold of three words in that text, and it will change your life, and it will change your family. Accept the Lord. Unless the Lord builds this house. Unless the Lord. We focus on so many other things. Can I tell you, though, you can, you can build a strong and powerful family without the clothes from Neiman Marcus. You can, you can do without all of Ethan Allen's furniture. But you cannot do without the Lord if you're going to build a family that's going to make it for the long haul. That's going to make it through the hard times. Number two is the word establish. If God is involved... He will establish your home. The text says, except the Lord builds the house. See, the Lord is a master builder. The Lord is a master builder. One, one thing about a builder is that if you're, if you're going to have anything worthwhile, anything valuable, anything meaningful, you don't bring the builder in at the end. You don't wait until it's halfway constructed, until it's somewhat erected. No, no, no. You bring him in when it's just a vision. Listen to me, some of you young people. 
You don't wait until you find Mr. or Mrs. and think that you're going to get them married and you're going to change them and you're going to convert them into something that they're not. You bring, the, you bring the builder in when it's a vacant piece of land, when it's overgrown in brush and thistle, and you've got to clear that off from nothing, and you've got to start from scratch, and you allow the builder to impart to you a vision of what could be. You don't, you don't wait until it's half done and then bring him in. I will hasten to add to that, however, it's never too late to seek good advice and sound counsel. But you just don't wait until the end. The reason why some of us have lopsided lives and crooked houses is because we tried to bring the builder in at the end. We, we tried to construct it and put it together ourselves and, and on our own. And the truth of the matter is we didn't know a two-by-four, as it were, from a six-by-six six post. And now our building's cattywampus. Wait, y'all didn't know that was a word. Because we should have had the builder in from the beginning. We brought him in now and we want him to bless our mess. No, no, no. You've got to bring him in at the beginning. He wants to be God. Building in your life at ground zero, you have to allow him to establish. He has to be the one to set up. He has to be the one to lay the foundation. I've learned that most builders don't like to deal with somebody else's foundation. They're kind of skeptical. They're not sure of the soundness of that foundation. But if you, if you allow them to start from the beginning, they'll stand behind their product. You see, the reason is if, if the foundation is bad, it doesn't matter how good they build the home. If the foundation cracks or settles, then, then the whole project is at risk and the legitimacy of their work is on the line you got to be sure that you're allowing God to lay that foundation in your home and that, that healthy place. If you allow God to be the builder of your house, he'll lay a foundation, and this is one that won't crack underneath you. How many of you ever thought you had it all laid out? You had it all designed and, and formatted perfectly only to find that when the pressure of life came in, what you had built gave way. It didn't withstand as you had suspected that it would. You've got to allow him to come in and, and lay that foundation. It, the earth may shift, but the foundation won't crack because it's built to last for eternity. And what the text says is this, unless the Lord builds Unless the Lord builds. When you, when you look at that word build, it is spoken there in the active voice. That's not to say that, you know, unless the Lord builds the house. In other words, you and yours had uh, a, a, an appropriate wedding. You came and did it at the church and had the right preacher. And it's not a one and done deal. But it's spoken in an active voice. It's a continual thing. It is that the Lord continues to build. He's... he's He's continuous in the process. You see, we see a lot, of, a lot of us sometimes play tag with God, don't we? 
We come in and we get the plans and the blueprints and we try to go out and, and subcontract it ourselves and then we wonder why it doesn't work, but God wants to be in it from the beginning to the end and we can stand back then at that point, like Paul said to the Philippian church, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. God will be with you God will be with you when you're courting, through your proposal, your wedding, your honeymoon, the early part of your marriage, when your children are little and through their adolescence and their graduation from high school and when they start their own family and they're grown themselves. If you let the Lord, he will establish you. One day Henry Ford was driving through the Michigan countryside when he came upon a man whose Model T had broken down and the guy was there and he's bent over under the hood trying to figure out what was wrong. And Mr. Ford stopped and he asked, he said, you know, can I take a look? And the, in a few minutes he had the car running. And the grateful owner said, you know what, I'm, sir, I'm amazed at your ability. You fix my car so easily. I'd been here a long time and I couldn't figure out what was wrong. And Mr. Ford replied and said, well, I ought to be able to fix it because I'm the one who designed it. And the same is true with God. If we'll follow his design, he can fix it. Whatever problems, whatever difficulties arise, if we're following his design, he can fix it. He will make a way. Next, I want you to write down the word effort. Now, the text says, except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. It does not say that we should not labor. It just says that if we labor without the Lord, we're doing it in vain. The, there's one of the paradoxical truths about faith in a sovereign God is this. The sovereignty and the absoluteness of God balance with the volition and the responsibility of men. I can't just pray until it happens. Sometimes I've got to put feet to my faith. I've got to work. I've got to pour in. I've got to invest. God is in control, but he will not violate your will. And God is in control, but he will not compensate for your lazy. Right? Some of you may be praying right now, God, God fix my family, God fix my marriage, God fix this, God fix that. What are you doing about it? What are you doing to invest in the health of that relationship? What are you doing to invest in the strength of that union? See, God will give you what it takes, but you have to work at it. If we're not careful, we might find ourselves, we might find that we work at everything else but our families. Some women spend more time in the mirror putting on makeup on their face than they do with facing their husband and trying to make their marriage. Some, some men spend more time in the weight room or with the boys than they do trying to build their bodies than they do with their wives and their children trying to build their families. Listen to me, church. This issue of building your family takes work. It takes work. It takes time. I tell couples who have problems in the first year or so, I say it takes time. 
You know, we live in a microwave society. We want it right now. We're accustomed to everything being instant. Instant tea, instant coffee, instant, well, bless you if you drink instant coffee. <laughs> instant rice, instant grits, even so much that we think we're going to have an instant marriage. But it takes work and it takes time to raise a family. It takes work to raise a family. It's not easy being a parent. It's not like a cup of, you know, cup of soup or something where you just add baby. <laughs> you know, you got mom and dad, you just add baby and there you go. No, it takes work. It takes work. If you're not getting what you want out of your family relationships, I want to ask you this one question or a couple of questions. Have you invested what is necessary to get the return that you've been expecting? I want to ask you that again. Have you invested what is necessary to get the return that you've been expecting? Have you invested in your children or are you just disappointed with the way secular society is raising them? Did you have any aim or did you just hand them an iPad and say, here you go? Because if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. And I can promise you, if you don't have a parenting strategy for your children, the devil does. Is your spouse really that bad? Or have you not invested enough in that relationship to elicit any different response than you're currently getting? Y'all getting quiet on me here this morning. But I'm telling you the truth. I love you, and I want you to know the truth. Because the truth not only will set you free, the truth will heal you if you'll let it. If you'll open up your heart and let it in, that truth will heal you. Building a family takes effort. The next thing I want you to write down is the word empty. Empty. If God is not involved with the blueprints of your family and in the plans of your home, you will leave with constant, remaining, and never-ending emptiness. The Word says, except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Now, if we translate that word for vain directly from the Hebrew, it means empty. Yes, we, we have a lot of houses and yes, the lights are on, but it's empty. It's well furnished, but it's empty. The air's working, but it's empty. The stove and, is working and the meals are prepared, but it's empty. The family room is functional, but it's empty. The people are inside, but it's empty. If you have a home and God is not at the center of what's happening, you don't have anything but an empty house. And that's not me Speaking down to you, that is the word of the Lord. Except the Lord builds the house. They labor in vain. Emptiness. You can even have a Bible and still be empty. I remember one young man went to his daddy. He had a big family Bible open on the coffee table. He went to his dad and he said, Dad, in this God's book, 
And the dad said, yes, it is, son. And the little boy looked at him. He said, well, Daddy, don't you think we ought to return it seeing as how we don't use it anymore? <laughs> Emptiness. Dressed to a T, but empty. Do you realize that you can be important in the community and empty at home? Do you realize that people around you can ooh and awe ah at what you have, but you know in the midnight hour all that you have is emptiness? Why do children join gangs? Because there's emptiness in the house. Because they're seeking a place to belong and, and they can't find it at home because you can't belong to what's empty. So they seek something that Satan has set up as a cheap imitation for a family and they join something where they can feel like they belong. Have you invested what's necessary to get the return that you've been expecting? Are you building with purpose and not with emptiness? Why? I ask myself this question sometimes. Why do young girls walk around half naked? Now, I might upset somebody here this morning. That's okay. Because they've never found the true love and the fulfillment in the home. And they think if they can show enough skin, they're going to find it in the world. And I'm telling you, it's a vain, cheap counterfeit. Listen to me, young ladies. If you feel like you've got to be naked for somebody to look at you, you're looking for the wrong thing. You're looking for the wrong thing. It's not what you want. I'm sorry that your household is not a loving environment. I'm sorry. The mom and daddy aren't playing it by the book. I'm sorry that they're not following the Lord's will for your family. But don't you shortchange yourself. Most of the earth's treasures are buried deep. You've got a mine for diamonds. You've got a mine for gold. You've got a mine for silver. It's not just laying around on top of the ground. And you are valuable. Does anybody know that emptiness will make you do some strange things? You'll, you'll find yourself with people that you shouldn't be with. You'll find yourself in some places that you shouldn't be. You're going to find yourself doing some things that you shouldn't do. That is emptiness. And that's what we'll find in a home that is not built and established by the Lord. Final thing I want you to write down is this. Eyes. And I want you to write it with the V beside it, just like I have it right there. Anybody know what that means? It's a verb. That's right. We often think of the word eye, our eyes, and we think of it as a noun, like this organ in our bodies that transmit sight through our brains. Sometimes we might refer to an eye of a needle. But if you get a good dictionary, you'll find way, way down there some of those definitions that start with a V. It's a verb. 
And it means to watch with the intent of protection. It says, except the Lord keep the city. That word there, keep, protects, however it's interpreted in your Bible, could also be interpreted from the Hebrew to say, to I. Let me tell you something. If you will allow the Lord to build your house and to build your family, you can know this. You know, I had <laughs> sometimes people look at church life and it's, you know, they can take it or they can leave it. They can look at business meetings and things like that and it's just boring to them. Most of the time it's because they've got nothing invested. But how many of you know you're interested in things that you're invested in? And if you have allowed God to build your house and to build your family, can I tell you that he is intimately and keenly interested in what's going on in your lives? He is intimately and keenly interested in seeing that it succeeds. Why? Because he, number one, he loves you, but number two, you've allowed him investment. He is so bought in to your family. If God's involved in your family, he, then he has his eye on you. And when God has his eye on you, it's like a hedge being built around you. Now, we don't really understand a hedge as it were because we usually use hedges for beautification. But when we hear a hedge in a biblical sense, it wasn't nothing pretty about it. It was, it was very sharp. It was very uncomfortable. You wouldn't want to encroach upon a hedge. You would end up harmed, impaled maybe. But a hedge, as we talk about it in the Bible, was originally used as a fence, a parameter for protection. And, and what God does is that he puts his eye on you. And he puts a hedge around you. And when God is the priority of your family, he puts a hedge around that. And when God is involved in your home, you don't have to worry about trying to watch out for yourself. No wonder Paul says, be careful for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving in your heart. And then he says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you today, church, that God didn't give you your family to be a distraction from him. Too often are the times that for the sake of family time, we forego the things of God. And don't, don't misunderstand me. Spending time with your family is important, right? But why is it that the first thing that's always on the chopping block is time spent with the Lord? You know, if we could say, you know what? It's been a while. We're going to turn the TV off. Whether or not we know who gets voted off the island is irrelevant to the health of our family. 
Whether or not we see whether this person got a two-chair turn, a three-chair turn, or a four-chair turn, or a gold buzzer has no weight of consequence on my family, we're going to shut this off. We're going to tune this out. And we're going to spend time as a family with the Lord. We're going to invest in our family in this way. See, God doesn't want your family to draw you away from Him. He wants your family to focus on Him and be drawn closer together. You realize that if if everybody in your family is focusing on and drawing closer to the Lord and He's at the center of it, then automatically, by default, you all begin to grow closer together. You know, this is a, a very simple message this morning. I understand that. But understand that there's nothing about simplicity that equals cliché or vagueness. I'm challenging you today, church, to keep the Lord at the center of your family, at the center of your home. And I ask you these questions. Does your family honor God? Does your marriage honor God? Does your home honor God? We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.